fruit of the spirit. We've been going through a series on the fruit of the spirit and we've taken a break of almost six weeks, I think, between peace, so went through love, went through joy. We talked about uh, we talked about God's love for us and our love for others. We talked about the joy of the Holy Ghost. We talked about peace. And the, today we're talking about long-suffering. Let's start in Colossians 3, Colossians 3, 2. That's where we're going to start this morning as we continue our study through the fruit of the Spirit. Colossians 3, 2 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That is the English Standard Version, but I liked the way that it put it there. Let's pray one more time as we get into the Word. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We can never pray enough, God. We come before you one more time this morning, God, as we're getting into your word. Lord, I ask that you would help every heart and every mind in this place to hear your word, God. And I ask that you would let your word flow through me, God, that I would speak what you have to say this morning to minister to each and every person in this room. Lord, let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. Is a call to shift your focus, to stay focused on the things of God, the focused on the things that are eternal, not on the things that are temporary. Galatians 5, 22 through 24, passage known as the fruit of the Spirit, lists out all of the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified their flesh with their affections and lusts. So this passage, through the Spirit, is a, is a contrast to a couple of verses previous where he talks about the works of the flesh. And he wraps up, says the works of the flesh, these are the fruit of the Spirit, and wraps it up with a big bow by saying, they that are Christ, they crucify their flesh, so they work against their flesh. So when we are Christ, when we give ourselves to Christ, we have to lay down the works of the flesh and take up the works of the Spirit, to take up the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is a byproduct of having the Spirit working in our life. If you have an apple tree, what grows on the apple tree, Leroy? Sorry. <laughs> Leroy, what grows on apple trees? <laughs> Apples grow on apple trees. Oranges grow on your orange trees. Bananas grow on the banana trees. Coconuts grow on palm trees. But you'd be pretty surprised if you saw cherries growing on a banana tree. You laugh when I say that because it's a preposterous idea. But in the same way, we should also be surprised when we see a spiritual person that's not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Or when a spiritual person is bearing things that are not fruit of the Spirit, maybe is a better way to put that. If you've got the Spirit working in you, and you healthily, a healthy tree bears fruit, so when the Holy Spirit is working through you in a healthy way, these are fruits that you bear. 
love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness. So these are the fruit that you bear when you have the Spirit working inside of you. But furthermore, an apple tree bears apples because that's what kind of tree it is. It is a reflection of the kind of plant that it is. The reason why these are the fruit that we bear when we have the Spirit inside of us is because these are a reflection of the Spirit. These are a reflection of God. God is love. God is joy. God is peace. These are all attributes of who our God is. He's gentle. He's good. He's long-suffering. He's patient. The fruit of the Spirit are all attributes of who our God is. But the fruit I really want to focus in on today is long-suffering. It's not a term that we use in our modern English very much, but long-suffering, or if you put those two, the compound word in the other order, you get suffering long, means patient, forbearance. But a a concise definition of long-suffering is patiently enduring injury. Patiently enduring injury. We've all been injured before. Brother Craig said he was injured his back this week. Leroy has been aching for quite a few years. We've all been injured before. And you can get frustrated and disgruntled and ouch, that hurts. But long-suffering is taking injury with patience. And you can endure almost anything if the reward at the other end is high enough. I would never intentionally stick my hand in a fire. But if the house was on fire and my door was on fire, I might try running through it because there's a reward on the other side. So we can put ourselves through some pain and patiently endure that injury knowing there's a reward on the other side. Because our sights are set on the eternal. Our sights are set on the future. It's not set on the temporary. It's not set on the right here, right now. We used to play a game growing up. When you grow up with a lot of siblings, you come up with a lot of stupid ideas. One of which of our ideas that we thought was fun is in the middle of January, when you got a foot of snow on the ground, we would dare each other to go run around the house barefoot outside in the snow and why we did it I don't know and I would like to say well it was because the reward was worth it but if you've got older siblings that have promised you money to do stupid things before you probably know you don't always get paid out (laughs) but I'm a middle child so I've been the older sibling and the younger sibling (laughs) but you can patiently endure injury when you understand what the reward is on the other end. This world throws a lot of things at us, but we can, if we can keep our focus on your eternity with God, we can endure the injury patiently. The last series we went through, we had a little catchphrase. We love God because of who he is, not just because of what he does. 
And the purpose and the point that we were bringing out with that phrase is that when you love God for the things that he does for you, then when you stop feeling like he's doing it for you, you would stop loving him. But if your love is set on who he is, he is a healer, even if he doesn't heal you every time you need it, you recognize that he is a healer. So we love him because he's a healer, not just because he heals me, because he doesn't always give me my healings instantaneously. So when we love God because of who he is and not just because of the things that he does, our love will, will last. So looking again at Colossians 3, 2. So set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Because the trials that we go through here on earth can be painful. But that's not the end of the story. Our end of the story is an eternity with God. And that's what we're headed towards. We're headed towards our eternity with God. <clears throat> thinking about the story of Joseph when it comes to being long-suffering and patiently enduring injury. Joseph starts out as being the favorite son of his father. His dad loved Joseph. Dad treated him like royalty. He was the son of, his, of Jacob's favorite wife. Jacob loved his Joseph. He made Joseph the beautiful coat. He used all the finest fabrics. It was painted all the, or it was dyed all the prettiest colors. That was his favorite son. Despite all of that, though, his brothers didn't like him. His brothers picked on him. His brothers treated him cruelly. His brothers disrespected him. He was in a world that was, he was surrounded by people in a world that treated him rudely and disrespectfully because he was a child of the father. Because he was liked and loved by his father. He was disrespected by those around him, picked on by his brothers, the people that should have been closest to him. And he had to put up with all of that pain. And the Bible doesn't say that he took, just took it under the chin, but it also doesn't say that he ever retaliated against his brothers. And after all that disrespect that his brothers had treated him with, and just when you think things can't get any worse, they sell him into slavery. They have so much disdain for their brother Joseph that they find somebody going to Egypt, and they say, here, you take him, you give us some money, and he'll go serve you in Egypt. Go sell him in Egypt. So they sell their brother into slavery. So Joseph ends up in Egypt as a slave. And, he, and he's working in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar promotes him. He becomes chief of Potiphar's staff. Potiphar recognizes that Joseph has a lot of power. Or that he has a lot of wisdom. You don't promote people with bad attitudes. When somebody just sits there and crumbles and complains and does the bare minimum every day, those aren't the people that you promote. Those aren't the people you put in charge. Potiphar recognized something in Joseph, which tells me that despite what Joseph was going through, he kept his chin up. Despite what Joseph was putting up with, despite what he had been through, he showed up and he kept working. 
And, and, and I'm sure Joseph felt like life was finally turning around for him. He's finally getting some respect. And then Potiphar's wife lies about him. He's serving his master so faithfully, and somebody comes along and starts slandering his name and destroying him, and he ends up in prison. It's right from the top to the bottom again. Now Joseph's in prison, and the prison keepers say, Joseph, I need a second in command. I need someone helping me in prison. And again, I will remind you, you don't promote people with bad attitudes. You don't give people with authority when they have a bad attitude. So again, Joseph must have been exhibiting leadership qualities. He must have been exhibiting patience in his suffering. <coughs> again, now he gets pulled out of prison and he goes before the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh lays out dreams for him and says, Joseph, I believe you can interpret these dreams for me. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, Genesis 41, 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me, God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now, I probably could have found this, but I didn't, I didn't dig for it. I'm not sure how long Joseph had been in Egypt. But however long he had been in Egypt, however long he had been separated from his family, however long he had been out of Israel, in this moment of when the Pharaoh said, I think you are a powerful person, I think you are something special, started speaking to Joseph's pride. After everything Joseph had been through, Joseph's response was, it's not me, it's God. And in my notes, I wrote, Record scratch, like the scratch on a record when they're, when they're going through a story. Eek! Because I want to take a look back now. We've got Joseph that at a young age was given a vision by God, was given a dream by God that his brothers would bow down and worship him. He had a call from God on his life. He had a purpose. He had a dream he wasn't living for the approval of man. Joseph went through all of that and never let go of who his God was. Joseph understood that it doesn't matter where he goes and what happens to him, that God is still his God. And he may have had his doubts at times. He may have thought at times, you know, God, why am I going through this? Why have you forsaken me? But Joseph understood that no matter what's going on, God has a purpose and a plan for his life. Joseph blossomed where he was planted. Wherever Joseph ended up, he didn't just sit there and cross his arms and get a bad attitude and get disgruntled. He says, okay, God, this is where you've put me. This is the circumstances you've put me in. I'm going to serve you to the best of my ability. I'm going to serve my masters to the best of my ability. He didn't, he didn't cop an attitude and say, well, when things change, when things get better, God, then I'll start serving you again. He never once strayed from serving God. Because when Pharaoh reaches, or when Pharaoh says, I think you can interpret my dream, he immediately says, no, it's going to be God. If anything happens, it's going to be by the power of God. He was living 
for God and only God. We can't see the future, but when we are aligned with God, God gets his mission done. God doesn't always do things the way that we think he's going to do them. God doesn't always do things our way. Many times I wonder, God, how are you going to get your... God, I know what you want to do, but I'm way over here. What's going on? If Joseph had gotten a little disgruntled, if Joseph got to Egypt and said, God, here I am a servant, and you said that my brothers were going to bow down to me, the whole story would have played out much differently. We don't know what that story would have looked like. If he, if he hadn't gone to prison, he would have never interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh's servants. So if he had gone to prison and then said, okay, now I've hit rock bottom, I'm done, and thrown in the towel, he would have never been given that charge over the prison to meet those people. Had he been pulled out of prison to go see Pharaoh and he gets disgruntled and, and just starts ripping into Pharaoh about how terrible his life has been and said, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to interpret your dreams. He would have never got promoted over, over the um, keeping the grain through the famine. He would never got promoted to be in charge of keeping the grain through the family. <clears throat> when we align ourselves with God, he gets his mission done. The only reason Joseph's dream came true was because he patiently endured the injuries that he sustained. Amen. He took it all under the chin, everything that life had to throw at him, and he said, whatever, God, it's your problem. And he became second in command in the land. And because of everything that Joseph went through, because of his brother's hatred for him and him ending up in Egypt, and because of this whole process he went through in Egypt, all of this is a story that leads him to be a second in command in Egypt, which, is the, which was the, the kind of the central power. This is the kind of the powerful nation of the area. And it was what saved his family. Because when famine came, his family came and needed grain. And he was there and able to provide for them. Sometimes God has to send us through things to get his mission done. Sometimes we have to go through things in life and we don't understand. And our short-sighted humanistic reasoning, because we can't see the future, we can get a little disgruntled, but church, we have to take it under the chin because God has a perfect plan. We're just part of his bigger plan. And we all know that when God's doing it, it gets done right. We've got story after story after story in the Bible. I think of, I think of uh, Jericho. I can't imagine Joshua being this new young leader, having to lead the children of Israel. And, and one of his first big moves is to tell him, okay, we're going to take this massive city. Oh, yeah, we're going to take this city. Then we're going to conquer Jericho, and it's going to be the Lord's. Okay, yeah, we're going to take Jericho, it's going to be the Lord's. So, okay, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to walk in circles. <laughs> we're going to walk in circles. But that was God's plan for Jericho. 
And when we do things God's way, he gets things done. God always accomplishes his mission. In fact, had, had Joshua taken his army and just rushed the gates of Jericho and gone in and had war, maybe they would have won, maybe they wouldn't, I don't know. But the story wouldn't have made it in the Bible because it wouldn't have been a miracle. What makes that story so cool is that we can see God's hand in it. The only explanation for that story is God's miracle, is God's power, God's hand. And now we look to that story as a reference. Go, look how big our God is. Sometimes we have to go through things. Sometimes we have to climb a mountain just to say, look how big my God is. I was going through something on Friday, and, I, and it really felt like God was, was going to work a miracle in my life. I had a situation going on. And, you know, God, this is what I thought you wanted me to do, but it's just roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And, and I was about to just cancel some plans with some people because, I, you know, it's not going to work out. It's not going to come together. And I just didn't feel right about it in my spirit. And, and as it starts creeping closer and closer to time and I had stuff going on, I was like, I don't think this is going to work. I, I, I just felt a little, I don't know, I just had a thought hit me that said, are we at the point where if it works out, it's only going to be by the hand of God? And I said, yes, I'm at the point where if this works out, it will only be by the hand of God. And I can tell you now exactly how things worked out because I saw it happen. But I didn't see a path forward at that time. And so I recognized the only way that it worked out was by the hand of God. When God wants to do something, we have to just yield to him and let him do what he wants to do. Because Joseph's dream did come true. Joseph's brothers did end up bowing before him. Joseph got to see a fulfillment of that dream, but only because he stayed aligned with God. I want to look at the story of Job. When I think of patiently enduring trials, I think of Job. Sometimes I wonder if the only reason God put the book of Job in the Bible was so that when we get disgruntled and say, man, I'm having a bad day, we, we can look at someone else that's got it worse for some encouragement. In the story of Job, Job chapter 1, 11, starting, I'm just going to read 11 through 21, and I'm going to kind of break it down as I go. Job starting chapter 1, verse 11 says, But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. So this is Satan telling God, because God and Satan are in a, a bit of a dialogue here, and God ask, asks the devil, he said, Do you, you know, have you noticed my servant Job and how faithful he is to me? And, 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 God, and Job's, or Satan says to God, well, it's only because you're so good to him. But if you put forth your hand and touch all that he hath, he'll curse you to your face. What Satan had misunderstood was that Job's allegiance to God was tied to what God had done for Job. Satan said, the only reason Job loves you is because of what you have done for him. Satan thought that Job's love for God was tied to God's blessings in Job's life. And so Satan tells God, 
if you take away everything you've given him, then he's going to curse you. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So God tells Satan, you can touch anything that he has. You can take anything he has, just don't touch Job. And then into verse 13, it says, In a day, and I'm going to kind of skim through these down through 20. But it says, And the daughters, day came, his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking. In the eldest brother's house, there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon him and took them away. So somebody took his livestock. And while he was yet speaking, so while that servant had just came and given Job this terrible news, there came another servant and says, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. So it tells him that, that his livestock's gone, his sheep are gone. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The, the Chaldeans made out of three bands fell upon the camels and carried them away and killed your servants that were with them. And while he was yet speaking, came another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking in their brother's house, and there came a great wind, and it smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon them, and now all your kids are dead. So all in the same conversation, Job finds out that his children are dead, his livestock is dead, his camels are dead, his sheep are dead. He lost everything. All within such a brief moment, he lost everything. And if I can just put in a quick pause here and take a quick segue, the only reason that tragedy doesn't happen to us is because of God's protection. If the devil had his way, he would destroy each and every one of us. People ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? The bigger question is, why don't bad things distract, destroy the whole world? It's not, why is this happening to me now? It's why did this not happen to me constantly? The devil wants to destroy the world, and it is only through God's protection that keeps him off our backs. So all in this moment, Job loses everything that is close to him, everything of value. He loses everything. And do you think Job gets disgruntled? Does he get an attitude and go, God, why would you do this to me? Then Job arose rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground and worshiped and said, naked I came out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all that adversity that came against Job, the only thing that Job had to say was, when I came into this world, I had nothing. When I leave this world, I'm not taking anything with me. The Lord gave to me for a time. The Lord's taken away for a time. Blessed be the name of the Lord. <clears throat> Job's conclusion to the tragedy that had just happened was it was all God's anyway. None of it was mine. When we can separate ourselves and appreciate everything that God has given us, and give him thanks for it. When we can take that step back and release it all back to him, we don't feel ownership of it. And when we lose it, it was God's anyway. It's about giving God everything back and understanding that none of it is ours. None of it's our will, but it's all God's will. If God's got a plan for your life and you're not accomplishing it, 
or there's roadblocks to you accomplishing it, that's his problem, not your problem. When God makes a promise, it's not your job to fulfill it. It's his job to fulfill it. You look at the story of Abraham. God promised Abraham a lineage, and Abraham stepped outside God's perfect plan and and made a baby with someone who wasn't his wife because he was trying to fulfill God's promise. That's not the way God wants it done. God will fulfill his promises in his time. It's not our job to fulfill God's promise. It's not our job to make sure that God gets his job done. God will take care of himself. He's a big God. He's been doing this a long time. When we have roadblocks, we can take a step back and say, okay, God, you got to deal with this one. But if not, look to the story of Jonah. But if not, we just have to keep holding on. But going into the story of Jonah, I, I can... I'm kind of a visual person. The story of Jonah really just starts off by God telling Jonah to go to Nineveh. But in my visual mind, I can just see Jonah praying, Oh, God, use me. God, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. Just use me, Lord. You can have my life. If you want me to do something. Wait, God, you say Nineveh? (laughs) (laughs) You know, God, when I say I'll do anything, that doesn't include why. When I say I'll go anywhere, I can go to Hawaii. When I say I'll do anything, I mean, I mean, like, I could pre- maybe I'll preach general conference for you. God said, go to Nineveh. And the very next verse, it says, Job got up when he got on a boat headed for Tarshish, going in the opposite direction. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. And the Lord sent a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares over the ship of the sea to lighten it. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship he lay and was fast asleep. Now I've talked about two different storms today. I've talked about the storms of Joseph, and I've talked about the storms that came against Jonah. I mean, the storms that came against Job. Now I'm talking about the storms that came against Jonah. And I'm being a little punny, but sometimes God sends a storm to wake us up. Sometimes the answer is just to hold on. Sometimes the answer is to let go. I'll get this far in the message I've been talking about. Just hold on, just hold on. God's got it, God's got it. Sometimes the storms come. To wake us up. Well, Brother James, are we supposed to hold on? Are we supposed to let go? This message was going somewhere. I thought I was being fed. I knew what I needed to do, but are we supposed to hold on? Are we supposed to let go? Well, that brings us to the fourth person, Jesus. Let's all stand. We We can cheer and say, hang in there, Joseph. God's doing a work. Or we can try to encourage Job, God's got you, man. We can admonish Jonah, just let go, God's got you. Just, just let him throw you over the, over the edge of the boat into the sea. God will take care of you. Because we know how those stories end. We know what the next page in that story is. But we don't know what the next page in our story is. And so it's a little bit more scary. 
We don't know when we're going to die. It could be today, tomorrow, next week. might be another 60 years. But we know eternity is a long time. We know there's a heaven and a hell. And now we're going to spend one. We're going to spend eternity in one or the other. So in the middle of your storm, are you supposed to hold on? Or are you supposed to let go? And the answer is yes. Hold on to Jesus and let go of your plans. Amen. They're not compatible. I remember when I was a kid, I liked walking down, you know, when I'd walk down the sidewalk, I would put one foot on, on one row of bricks, another foot on the other row of bricks, you know, just, and I'd just walk. And I remember I came to this, I don't, it was a, there was a pattern, it was maybe even in a mall, but there was a pattern where the, these two stripes are going along the floor, and then it comes a row of tundra and they, and, they, and they split apart. And so I'm walking down like this, and <laughs> I had to pick one. Our path and our will does not stay aligned with, or doesn't always stay aligned with what God wants us to do. Sometimes we can have one foot, one foot in our plan and one foot in God's plan. Sometimes we can have one hand, what we want to do, and one hand in what God wants to do. But many times there comes a time where they split apart too far for us to reach. And you've got to let go of what you want and hold tight to what God wants. So when we look at Jesus, we're talking about long-suffering. Back all the way up to the beginning, you've got Adam and Eve eat this forbidden fruit, and God kicks them out of the garden. But God loved him. Cain kills Abel. And Cain goes, man, if anybody refines me, they're going to kill me. And God says, no, if anybody touches you, they'll be cursed. You look at the days of Noah and the wickedness. But God saves Noah out of it. You look at the story of Lot and the mess that he was in. And God grabs Lot, pulls him out. You see the children of Israel right after being delivered from Egypt. They build a calf and start worshiping it. You see the story of Gideon. And the Midianites have surrounded these people and Gideon's hiding out. And God said, let go of your plan and take my plan because we're going to give you a victory. As you get into the kings, you see a series of kings that you have through the Old Testament. And you get through this cycle, and I talked about a cycle a couple weeks ago called the roller coaster period, where, where you've got a king, things are going good, and because life's going good, people stop worshiping God, and they backslide. Life gets tough, so they come back to God. Then life gets good, they backslide, life gets tough, they come back to God, life gets good, they backslide, life gets tough. And they go through this cycle. And, and we as Christians many times go through this cycle. We go through it, adversity in life, we go through a trial, and we go, God, I need you, I'm never going to let you go, where are you, I need you. And we get our life straightened out, and then we get back on the right track, and life's going, we're cruising along, and pretty soon we forget to pray, we forget to be reading our Bible every day, we get distracted. Life gets tough again. Sorry. 
But after all of this, where mankind goes through this backslide and comes back to God, goes through a backslide and comes back to God, goes through a backslide and comes back to God, God incarnate, Jesus, is on earth. And he says, If any man hear my words and believe me, and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. In Luke 23, 34, after the crucifixion, the, the soldiers that had just crucified Jesus are fighting over his meager possessions there on the ground. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is long-suffering. From the beginning of creation all the way up into the crucifixion, even till now, mankind has turned their back on God, come back to God, turn their back on God, come back to God. And God says, I still love you. I'm still going to put up with it. Jesus is a perfect picture of long-suffering as he patiently endures injury. Church, it doesn't matter what we encounter when we hold on to Jesus. If this world is hindering you from doing the work of God, make it his problem. When you're running into obstacles, when things aren't going right, give it to God. <coughs> or let go. Let, let go of things that are holding you back. So you've got to figure out, are your adversities because you're running from God or your adversities because the devil's trying to stop you from doing the work of God? So we go into prayer again this morning. <sighs> try to sorry, try to pull my thoughts together for this altar call. As we go to prayer again, we're gonna sing two songs we sang at the beginning of service again. I surrender all and break every chain. And we're gonna put it all in God's hands. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're doing, we're gonna yield it to God. Okay, God. I'm not gonna fight this mess anymore. I'm gonna take it under the chin and I'm gonna let you handle it. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing in this place today. God, I thank you for the way that you've, that you've ministered each and every one of us. God, give me strength, Lord. Give me wisdom, Lord, to do your work. God, I'm not trying to do things my way. God, I'm not trying to accomplish my goals. I'm not trying to fulfill myself. But God, I'm trying to do your work. I'm trying to live a life that is pleasing and glorifying to you. Lord, walk with me in every step I take. Give me wisdom in every step I take. Lord, I surrender my entire life to you. Every part of what I am, every thought that I think, Lord, I want it to be sent on you and who you are. Hallelujah.